not seeing your own blind spot does leave you vulnerable to being used in a certain way. Mm -hmm. But it also does leave you vulnerable to unknowingly using other people. Mm. Yeah, bingo. You can only start to account for polarity when you start getting kind of like an inventory of all all the blind spots, the shadows, the ways that you're relying on your external circumstances to give you something that you ought to be developing on your own. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. John's heart heart blast on fucking uh, Molly Nights <laughs> is a stuff of legends. It's truly the stuff of legends. <laughs> the big hormone enneagram. I'm John Lukovich, uh, sexual self pres 45 wing, 458 trifix. Hi, I'm David Gray, self pres sexual 9 with 1974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self pres with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I am a self pres social 3 wing 4 with a Six, nine, try if you like our podcast, guys, make sure you go like and subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. And if you really like us, you should definitely leave us a review. So, um, so he's on here for just like a few minutes because Jerry, my Gurdjieff teacher, is going to do a series of public talks. And like, we're trying to promo it, but I'm out of the loop about a lot of it. And uh, I figure people might want to hear that there's other people in this group than me. Mm hmm. Um, so Sophie and I've been on like the promo team, but more like I've just attended like two meetings and then she's like actually involved in it. But, um, yeah, like Sophie, like are these, uh, all just on Zoom, these talks, or are they in person too? They are on Zoom at this moment. Okay. If there are, there is an opportunity for them to be hybrid that will be shared on the website, uh, which uh, is gurdjieffbennett.org forward slash joining new groups <laughs> if anybody wants that um, information. But uh, yeah, it, it's these two talks that are September 13th and 14th at um, 7 p.m. Eastern and uh they are kind of discussing uh, the fourth way and kind of looking at the art of transformation in a kind of time of unrest and, um, you know, a moment where everything is competing for attention. And if anybody's interested in kind of thinking about um, kind of how to work uh, kind of with the opportunities slash challenges of, of this current moment, this offers them kind of a way to kind of think and participate and and yeah. work, I guess, is like the term that they use in the fourth way. So to work on oneself. Yeah, these are just like, uh, you know, our teacher is really good. Just, he's, you know, if you're just even just curious without having to like join anything, uh, our teacher is a really good articulator of the work. He's been steeped in it for a long time. And um, so, yeah, these are Tuesday, September 13th, and Wednesday, September 14th, both at 7 p.m. via Zoom. How did they get the link, Sophie, just through the website? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll put the link in the show description. Cool. Thank you. 7 Eastern. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yes, seven Eastern. Yeah, because we're based in New York. And uh, so, Sophie, I'm gonna just like read what he wrote as the description for the talks. Yeah. But after, I want to just get your thoughts and you know just brief impressions about what it's like to like you know get into the work and if you know how you see it is related to the Enneagram because a personality because people have bl- heard me blab a bunch but since you're actually a long time now member of a Gurdjieff group uh, I just thought it'd be you know I thought it'd be good to get somebody else's impressions so briefly to read it it's called uh, talk on the fourth way a path for our time in two parts so this is my teacher's uh, writing we are in a time of exponential uncertainty how we can discover hope and an essence within that can lead to unity and change. There is the slowly emerging realization that a, new dire- new, that a new direction needs to be taken that will not be a continuation of the past nor a revolt against it. People attempt to monopolize our attention, shrink our imagination, control the narrative. How can we make sure that the urgent does not crowd out the important and we don't mistake the familiar for the normal? In this talk, we will discuss the fourth way and the art of transformation and change. We will speak about paths of transformation and the distinctiveness of the fourth way. How can we become genuine and awake, discovering the wonder of higher awareness? So that's the, the outline of the talk, and I think that is pretty brilliant. How, uh, you know, a new direction needs to be taken that is not a continuation of the past nor a revolt against it. And how do we make sure that the urgent does not crowd out the important and we don't mistake the familiar for the normal? So uh, with that, I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Sophie, but I want to get your thoughts on, you know, just like what it's like joining the work and, and working with a group and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, I can just say, you know, this is an opportunity for people to who are kind of seekers of um a deeper wisdom um and understanding of say, like the human condition reality um you know an understanding of the self and others in relationship to the kind of bigger world and universe uh i i think for myself i've always kind of been a seeker of you know things the metaphysical or things that are kind of beyond just what i see and what i can think of in my own head or what I've read. And um, kind of the, I'd say the teachings of the fourth way are really focused on kind of like kind of practical um, kind of work and observation and kind of experimenting with ideas and on oneself to kind of think about how we can connect with a, a deeper self and reality. So I think um, for me, maybe this searching and seeking was like a way to kind of escape, I guess, the um, unsatisfactory qualities of myself that mm. I, I could see. Uh, and maybe this is what can tie to the Enneagram. Maybe these are the traits of my Enneagram type, which Emika so <laughs> amazingly kind of shared with me when we did my typing. Um, which appears to be seven nine three. <laughs> yes, seven uh, wing exactly. eight. Yeah, DJ. Yeah, very oh, yeah. responsible DJ. DJ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but I I think you know the DJ liked to party and to lose you know itself for me, uh, kind of 
not be awake. And interestingly, this work um, is all about kind of being awake, kind of predating it predicating itself on the condition that we're all asleep um, and there are opportunities to awaken. Um, and that might kind of sound druggy and psychedelic, uh, but it's much more than that. It's not, you know, it, it, it really is uh, kind of accessing the part, I think, of the self that connects to kind of something higher and bigger that in a way I would say kind of informs and guides you to um, maybe access whatever it is you may think you were meant to do or be whoever you want to be. And that you're, you know, it's not something that's ever completely achieved or perfected. It really is kind of, it's in some ways kind of so mystical that you can't even, um, even talking about it is in a way kind of, diminishment exactly or just it it doesn't Mm. do it justice at all it it, it maybe like annihilates it or something like that Mm. but yeah i I feel like i'm on i'm here like and i sound very pretentious but all (laughs) i can say is that you know it's a great kind of opportunity for those who are curious about like a new way of seeing and being Mm -hmm. um and for me, that was what drew me because I've tried everything. Being the seven that I am, I mean, it would be like choose your own religion slash <laughs> adventure, you know. And I, when I was young, I, I, so I grew up in an evangelical Christian household. Uh, but I was the kid in Sunday school who told my Sunday school teacher that I wanted to learn about other religions because I wanted to be able to understand why we didn't believe what they believed and how that could help me maybe defend what I believed, I guess, in Christianity that's called like apologetics or something like that. Anyways, I was like very young, but I always wanted to understand what was not kind of what what wasn't easily available to me, like just I guess it's just pure curiosity, but I could never stick with that for very long. And I guess that's the seven. And then there is also a lot of kind of willful revolting against establishment. Uh, Maybe that's the seven wing eight, like a lot of anger, uh, escapism. But yeah, I I really, you know, I I tried many a spiritual path, kind of many a substance or whatever uh tried many things and i think maybe all of it just ended up being a good story to tell you know i don't know really how i kind of truly found the group i i mean i have my story but um our teacher says that it it finds you or that those who are led will find it. And I think this talk is a way, again, it's an opportunity for people who are curious to, to look at it Um, without judgment. I think, you know, really without judgment. Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think these are just great. And if you're just interested in Enneagram, this is stuff that is, you don't need to be a part of a group or anything like that, but it's stuff to be curious about and to know about. And so, appreciate you coming on sophie can i say the one last really amazing cool coincidental thing because i do love this story even if it is like a anecdote 
uh, the whole thing about like it finds you, not you finding it. Uh, so I had been kind of talking about the fourth way with Nick Podgorski, my boyfriend partner, because he's also very much a kind of spiritual kind of learner. Um, and we had been talking about Gurdjieff um, and Bennett and, you know, these teachers and ideas. And we were in this, we just suddenly wandered in my neighborhood in Brooklyn um, back by me six years, at least six years ago. And we saw a little flyer that had information about a fourth way mindfulness group, literally the very thing we were talking about. And it was meeting in Manhattan like that evening. And we couldn't believe it. It was just so weirdly coincidental. And uh, we went there and we just continued to go there. And um, the person who put that flyer there was John, <laughs> our very own John Lukovic. And, you know, indoctrinating more and more into the cult. Lo and behold, like, yeah. And, and somehow our paths crossed and, and there we were, um, cool. you know. So I, I just think that's really cool because I, I don't know. I mean, it is a coincidence. I mean, who, I don't really look at flyers and kind of follow through with them at all, I, you know. So that just I don't know. So yeah. try. I, I encourage people to to join or to just kind of check it out if they're curious. Yeah. Well. And that's all I have to say. Maybe. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. Uh, appreciate it. You coming on and giving people uh, a look from a voice that uh, is not just us blabbing all the time. And <laughs> you know, you you made a comment about sounding pretentious, and uh, I don't. I disagree. I th feel like I feel like the way you spoke really embodied the seven in the Enneagram personality. There's the virtues. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the virtue of sobriety. So mm. appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Who would have thought a DJ would be sober? I know, right? <laughs> sober DJ. Yeah. The work, the work does it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's transcended. <laughs> Thank you all. I'm on a little cloud right now. You know. <laughs> uh. She's going to celebrate with shots after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go to a rave and do some MDMA. And oh, yeah. <laughs> then read my spiritual uh, books. Raise the uh, Yeah. All right, we're gonna we're gonna do our usual regular episode, but uh, give uh, Nick love for us. We will. Let's yeah, do a, We'll do a movie thing soon. Thank you. Yeah, great talking to everybody, and thanks for letting me talk. Thanks, Bye. Sophie. Thanks. Bye. Sophie. All right. So, uh, what are we? What are we for real talking about today? We're talking about missing pieces part two. The uh, the call me, David, and Nancy did about blind spots, which um, this hasn't gone out yet, but the next, the, the pod that's coming out before this one is the one that you, David, and you, David, and I did on rejection, just mm -hmm. trying to arti mm -hmm. better articulate rejection. I have further thoughts because there are so many, it's still kind of like, I think it's going to take multiple calls to really Definitely. refine, refine that. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the original conversation was how we have multiple blind spots uh, besides the instinctual blind spot. Um, and for those people who've been listening to OPS or we had Dave on here of OPS talking about, you know, 
blind spots and tidal waves. If you don't address certain blind spots, you eventually have something called a tidal wave, or you might call it a, a midlife or quarter life crisis, mm-hmm. where something that's unaddressed eventually builds up and it explodes either in a breakup or some kind of crisis. Um, or that we have these blind spots that get, uh, because we don't really want to integrate them, so they just continue, we continue to have them remain compartmentalized, which might present itself as something that you're attracted to. Because if you're attracted to someone and they become your partner, it further makes it, it further reinforces that you don't need to integrate those qualities. It's just now your partner. <laughs> it's, right. Oh, like you're like outsourcing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's, it's really fascinating to me as, you know, just someone who's obsessed about attraction that there is like a natural, like you need this thing, you're pushing away from it, but you're so also at the same time really attracted to it and it, and it embodies itself in a person that you want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, don't hold back or anything. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, the relationship between my <laughs> arousal patterns and these personality types. <laughs> You know, for people listening, we're not just talking about like instinctual blind spot. We're talking, you know, kind of more general way of undeveloped facets of your personality. Mm-hmm. We, uh, well, let's do the plugs so that we can, right. uh, but to reference the plugs, we did a class recently on uh, Dark Arts Academy. We did a class on JLo and uh, her f- fiance once again. What's his name? David ben Fleck. Ben Affleck, one of the most boring, vacant, blank human beings I've ever laid eyes upon. <laughs> I like I it was we didn't even we couldn't even talk about them as a couple because we were trying to do a, do a series of calls about couples and looking at like their dynamics and chemistry and why they work. So Ben Affleck and J Lo were engaged like ten years over ten years ago and they got engaged again. So we were just like watching an interview of them and trying to figure out like why does this work? But they had like an interesting polarity where she's this bright, bubbly. They're the same type, both Bermuda sixes, but different instinctual stackings and different wings. But energetically, she's got this bright, effervescent, bubbly thing going on. And he's just like downward, kind of like grumpy, uh, sad, sad boy kind of thing going on. So it's just like interesting to see, even within types that are very similar, which is something we see quite a bit, like double nine, double six relationships that there's always some kind of polarity mm-hmm. cool yeah well uh yeah so you're doing like a you're starting to do a new kind of approach to dark arts like in terms of couples now no just that that you know changing it up that was something an idea that people had like we would like to see y'all talk about couples and look at yeah, the type great. type dynamics and you know that kind of thing awesome another plug alexandra she's you're asleep in- are you muted? I think you're muted. She is. She's muted in real life. <laughs> oh my God. I've been commenting and stuff. No wonder nobody's oh, really? been responding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you haven't said a thing. Yeah. You have been gone for this past <laughs> ten minutes. <laughs> it just spaced well, out I guess the they're time. ignoring me. <laughs> a nine that's not here that doesn't know that they're not here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god. The attachment to disconnect at its finest. <laughs> um all right, what what did you what'd you want? <laughs> Talk about your astrology shit. Oh yes. Okay. Um all right. So as usual I am taking um I am doing astrology readings where I am looking at your natal chart, 
through the lens of your Enneagram. We're looking at aspects, at placements, at houses, um, signs themselves, and then correlating them with your particular Enneagram type and stacking. Um, we're looking at the direction you need to go in, certain obstacles that you have that are, are keeping you stuck. We are looking at um, certain things that you need mirroring so that you can just own, own those things and, and go off and be yourself, be your great self. Um, it's been, yeah, it's been really fun. It's been really fun. It's been a conversational style. Um, I have been learning a lot more about the relationship between the Enneagram and astrology, which just as a, how do I say this? As a disclaimer, there is no direct overlap. So I know that there are people that try to, try to create like direct links between different systems. Those just don't exist. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't exist within the Enneagram and astrology there will be two you know two virgos or whatever and there are two different they have two different types um yeah so just go in knowing that nothing is going to equal anything else but it is fun to look at it's fun to explore and i think it's been i think it's been really helpful for people and it's been really fun for me (laughs) well and how much is that and where can they find you um so the sessions run between like one and two hours usually like between that um, they've been for $125, and you guys can find me on Instagram. Sorry, my Enneagram account is Angry Enneagram 9 on Instagram, or my personal account, which is I am Alexandra AA, or you can find me on Facebook if you guys have me there. All right, uh, please buy my book. And I'm doing a study group where we go like section by section and diving into deeper ideas of inner work, of the Enneagram, of what was going on in my thinking process that I couldn't include in the book. Uh, we do practice, we do group uh, discussion, we do question and answer, we have themes. Ends up being like an hour and a half to an hour each time, and it's only 15 bucks. You, want, you can donate more, of course, if you like, but uh, you can find the info through my website um, or on my social media. All right, anything else? David's Trifix booklet. All right. David, you want to say something about your Trifix booklet? <laughs> <laughs> David, are you, are you muted as well? Uh, He's muted I, for real in life. I, my mind is muted. Um, <laughs> perpetually. Um, do I want to say? Uh, no. Um, I mean, people keep coming to me with, uh, you know, appreciation and, and new insights and. Uh, you know, yeah, just other angles on it and so forth. Uh, you know, at some point there'll be a revision and so forth. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate the interactivity. It's inspired. Also, that uh, Christine Oberly, who's been making really good oh, illustrations yeah. for mm-hmm. the trifixes. Yeah, those are great. Uh, she's plans to make uh, paintings. It's on her website, and hopefully something comes out of that because those are really cool. Yeah, she and I amazing. might maybe she and I do a collab on the next edition. Yeah, yeah, that would awesome. be very cool. Yeah, and then uh, for DAA upcoming episodes, we have uh, what was the lady that we typed recently? She dated, um, man, I'm terrible with names. David, Maria. what was it? You guys did Marina and Brahma. No, not we did. Okay. This hasn't dropped yet, but David, oh, okay, no, who did we just type? I don't remember. Angelica Houston. Guys, oh yeah, Angelica, Angelica Houston. Houston. She dated. Uh, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson for a long time. That was a really interesting typing. Very, We've never typed anyone that has the combination she did. It was a pretty fun call. Mm-hmm. And we are also planning to do a class on um, 
Kurt Cobain, because we're gearing up to do a Five Wing Four special. And uh, so, yeah, well, that might be a clue, but tune in for that class next couple of weeks. <laughs> cool. Um, God, I, I kind of want to feel like there's some other thing that I've... You did your study. You talked about your study. Oh, yeah. Group. This, uh, and then Josh just completed all oh, nine yes. types on what it's like mm. to be you. We just had lunch with him, uh, and it was great. He's our neighbor now. Uh, he's oh, like nice. three yeah. blocks away. So oh, that's really cool. Like, yeah. L- like, yeah, super easy. So, you know, just, you guys should come back to New York. and We're just we'll slowly relocating to New York. Yeah. <laughs> all of us. Into Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, Josh's thing's great, and... I mean, it is, it's not just, he's not just interviewing people to get info about their type. Like it's, uh, without doing a whole thing, we should have Josh on to talk about his reflections on it. That's that's Actually, no, that's an episode. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, it's been great. And so he just completed uh, all nine types and he's going to keep going, but they're like really special and mm-hmm. yes. uh, mm-hmm. really revealing. And Josh mm-hmm. is an incredible interviewer. And for listeners, uh, uh, David... Emeka and I have all been interviewed, so you're like, God, I got to hear their fucking voices more. Than- <laughs> <laughs> one thing I did say on a, a previous call that is, it is interesting. It's one thing to hear all of us on a podcast together and we're our sort of dynamic together. It's another mm-hmm. thing to have one right. person like zero in on, yes. on, you know, for an hour plus. So you get, you get to see what that personality is like unchecked and alexandra was saying how she noticed that as social blinds we tend to talk about ourselves like as objects or Mm -hmm. like yeah or it's just ideas or something like that yeah Yeah. and that josh kind of like penetrates that uh, over time Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. you know i think we can be guilt we're not as like if i listen to other podcasts they're much more like more about their own personalities in a certain way Mm -hmm. um and so I don't know. Uh, we don't really. Re- I feel like we go deep about ourselves and don't like or don't reveal a lot at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. It's. I've made a comment about how, uh, what kind of what we're doing as social blinds in social space is that it ends up feeling like hookup energy, where it's it's <laughs> it's yes. like people are drawn surprise, in surprise be- <laughs> because we're spilling in a sexual mm-hmm. instinct kind of way, which is not really sort of uh, signaling or really saying a lot about like who we are. Who um, we're affiliated with or that kind of. It's not, it's not really seeing ourselves. That's what it, no. that's what I realized. Like we're not really giving people a window into really seeing us, but we're, we're displaying a lot of things that are spilling our, our, um, spilling our guts. Juices. Yeah. Juices. <laughs> so people have this, in, the, people might have this impression that they might know us, but without really seeing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Something that struck me was that, yeah, the three, so the three of you guys, I noticed in all three of your interview, this is kind of repeating what we just said, but you guys do speak about yourselves as if you are only your ideas, but you don't really give a glimpse into like, what is the day-to-day experience of being John, of Mm. being David, of being Amica? What, what is, you know, what is like, if I hang out with you for a day, what's that going to be like? Because a normal, regular day, you know, like what is normal, regular John? I know that that's, (laughs) sorry. Um, (laughs) Take it back. (laughs) (laughs) We're not interested in that. But uh, (laughs) I I can't imagine it being interesting. That's nothing interesting about what I do in the morning. (laughs) I know that's, that's, John had the exact same, um, John had the same feedback where he was like, that's stupid. Nobody's going to want to hear that. <laughs> totally. But anyway, Josh had a, Josh, did, uh, I'm getting like ahead of myself now, but yeah, Josh did a really good job at pulling that out. Well, of trying, 
to pull that out of she all tried. three of you. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was kind of fun because um, Emika and John specifically, you guys are so <laughs> like just locked and loaded and just like ready to blast <laughs> all over the place. So to see Josh kind of interview you guys in a way where you'd be stumped was just like, that was just so good. <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> catch them off guard. <laughs> yeah, he had some good questions that were yeah. like, oh, yeah, okay, let me look into myself and find an answer to that. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah, and he did it with David too, obviously, but, you know, David's a nine boy, and so he doesn't have the... Tell me same. what was good about my interview. <laughs> <laughs> well he did the (laughs) he did the same thing he stumped you a lot the only difference that i'm making is that Uh, you know you don't mow people down the same way david's easily stumped is what you're saying (laughs) david what day is it where where are you what's your name it doesn't take much to stump him (laughs) i don't remember what i did this morning Whereas I might look sound like maybe John and I might sound like we know what we're talking about, even though we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Very persuasive. Yeah, that was good. That was really good to watch. Yeah. So um, is he going around the circle, like starting over, basically? I don't know what his next plans are, but um, he's going to run out of hex at times. I think he's going to keep going. If you're someone who's been wondering or trying to figure out your typing, um, that's what we do at any grammar. DAA is, is basically a school that helps you understand how to see and hear with the types of the Enneagram and to watch us type people. Uh, so you can join DAA for only $20 a month and have a full library of like over 40 videos. Um, and you get a discount to our typing services. So you can Google Get Typed by Enneagrammer to order a typing and sort of like uh, get some clarity by uh, mm-hmm. getting the best damn typers to help you with your typing. <laughs> All right. Um, I think the Josh convo was actually good for getting at some of this uh, mm. blind spot talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He spent a lot of time asking about the sexual, his sexual blind spot in New York. I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah. We talked yeah. about it a lot, a lot. It's part of what we're also uh, talking here is that thing we mentioned last time, the, the last fix and therefore the last center. Yeah. Anybody's, yeah. That, that was one of the kind of missing piece. It's yeah, a, that was uh, one of the missing pieces that we explored. Oh, just that, yeah. I, you know, there's multiple that I've been mulling over, but like the last center, uh, the different harmonics, or is it, yeah, or the different object relations, that's another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just beyond the Enneagram, I've just been looking at the ways that uh, in MBTI, that if you, there is some kind of polarity where if you're like a sensory type that I've noticed that you tend to, want what your demon functions are like you're attracted to them so like somebody who has intuition is always going to be like interesting polarity like me and joseph me joseph and david david or uh, joseph is completely opposite to us in terms of his functions Hmm, and instinctual stacking so like we made a really good team because he was a social type who's kind of ungrounded but like a big communicator and someone who comes up with new concepts and puts him on a website really quickly. So, you know, that, that, that was a good polarity in terms of a working relationship. Do you know, if, like Alexander and I have different functions or something? I, yes, <laughs> you guys do. But, uh, there is also polarity there. I mean, you guys haven't gotten typed yet, but I'm, I feel yeah, like I'm getting, officially. I'm getting better. I have a pretty good idea at this point. And part of what is happening, at least what I, I think that 
the reason Alexander is really good at spinning new ideas, especially with astrology, is it's probably savior intuition. Um, and mm. so, so, so far, the running guess for Alexander's type in OPS is that she's N I T E I N T J. So, so she's she's actually the blaster of the group. Hell yeah! <laughs> um, Step aside, guys. <laughs> And and so and that John is a different type of intuition user that he most likely is F I N E or N E F I so either I N F I N F P or E N F P so John does like you know a lots of intuition but it's more like a exploratory intuition so it can kind of like fall off the rails in terms of he'll get off go off the deep end and <laughs> Alexander has more of a like a narrowed down sort of like. I've narrowed down to these intuition, these uh, concepts that sum up some kind of sensory experience. And so it's like, you guys are, if that is correct, then you guys do have similarity and polarity in terms of you're both doing intuition, but you're doing it in very different ways. Feels right. Interesting. Yeah. And if you're INTJ, Alexander, that's kind of like five-ish. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. might have been why you typed as five. Yes. Yes, could be. I was telling that story again today, actually. This is like a side tangent. But yeah, mm. how you did your your first like video commentary thing was mm -hmm. was on my video. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because I came in very quietly cocky and I was like, I'm a five. They'll see. And then <laughs> Emika messaged me and was like, yeah, you're a nine. We could see it in 10 seconds. And David <laughs> made this 45 minute video being like, oh, you like all the different typing systems because you like to see how they connect everything. You're a nine. <laughs> well, thank you. No more questions. <laughs> I, you know, on a. On Instagram, uh, you know, like people will respond to different stories and posts and stuff like this. And people have been sending me screenshots from uh, Reddit. Mm. And yeah. God, any they love Reddit, us on Reddit. <laughs> they love us on any year on Reddit. Oh, they th they think we are like which is two. What are they saying? Let's I mean, they think that we have the most like depraved moral character. Oh yes, this. that's oh, delicious. Well, yeah. That's delicious. That we're toxic I love it. bully assholes or something. Wow. Woof. And like, like the, you know, it's, it, they can't argue with our content. And so they yes. have to argue with our character. Yes, yes. And our character, like, and there's a couple of times people will respond and be like, what is so bad about them? Like, they sound like yeah. maybe they're a little cocky and self-assured, but they don't seem, you know, they seem like they know what they're talking about. And I don't agree with everything. Uh, but they, you know, that, that, that basically are our girl boss and gatekeeping that you know that we make a distinction between nine and four mm -hmm. is really the core of you know we're gatekeeping <laughs> and we're doing all this other shit do you, do you know the funny thing about people thinking that we're these arrogant uh, elitist assholes is that they still can't stay away <laughs> they still are coming to us ordering our typings hanging out in our group commenting on our oh, youtube no. videos you can't quit us <laughs> isn't that amazing <laughs> it was yes. it was it was like actually pretty uh like shocking to think that we occupy as much emotional territory in some people's minds that i've never heard of you know i'd, uh, I'd like yeah. to say good evening to all the hate listeners <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. welcome fueled it's, by your hatred like somebody somebody made a comment of like they associate with pedophiles and then somebody responded like what <laughs> and then and then this person clarified that 
they remembered in the curious case of David Gray story where there was like oh, an older no. woman interested in you when you were like a younger guy or kid or something. So somehow that makes me a pedophile. <laughs> it wasn't. I don't even think it was you being a pedophile. I think it was just that 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 you were somehow associated with somebody who, right, right. you know, and it was just like the most like um, extreme misinterpreting, like hysterical. Oh, yeah. Whatever bullshit, but it was just yeah, amazing it's... that level that 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 level of idiocy was like all over the place when we were referenced, <laughs> and half the group thinks they're eight, five, or four. Oh yeah, yeah of course. course, yeah, real thought out there. Yeah, it's just a, this this uh, sort of erotic draw into the underworld that people are like, "Fuck that, fuck that, I can't, but I can't look away." <laughs> fuck, fuck those it's guys. Crazy. <laughs> the emotional energy, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, that's what we aim for. That's what I aim for. I want you to absolutely <laughs> despise me, but obsess about me every single day of your life. You fucking muppets. <laughs> muppets. Mission accomplished. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess like what's what what strikes me in terms of blind spot is like being I'm body last, mm. mm-hmm. and I'm on this call with three fucking super body types. Oh yeah. <laughs> And body, for body type lumps. Body type lump. I'm gonna put that song on this episode, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great idea. Yeah, I I was sing I was sing to Alexander body yada yada and then I say um you know crazy curvy curly cozy to me. <laughs> She's so body. And I think there is a polarity with us of Definitely. her being yeah. the most body of the bodies. And like she I mean and just from like a sexual type point of view, like I'm so attracted to her that she brings me into that body space in that other way too. Of just like, mm-hmm. you know, like just squeezing my nine, you know, just like <laughs> that touchy, like it, it, she makes me very like sensual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Because like, whereas I probably never would have had that in my self image before. Yeah. Of, mm-hmm. of this polarity. Does that make sense, baby? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect sense. What about you, Alexander? What is your experience of John as a heart type? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that too. That John, I am heart last, and John is obviously heart first, and that puts me. I didn't actually recognize. Well, first I'll say that, like, I still have some. How do I say this? I'm still not like sold on the language of heart last or body last, or seeing how that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that in thinking about the connection that I have with John, it does put into perspective that I am heart last because that has been in a way my like I don't know my like least priority mm-hmm, I guess mm-hmm. and so being with someone that is so like potent in the heart space does bring that out of me you know does bring out like a sense of I've always been sentimental but like I cry much more easily now <laughs> like mm-hmm. much more easily the the heart space is just like much more affected um sometimes to a point of stress but it is, yeah, it's been, it's been very enlivening. It's been very, like, I've had to, not just in terms of, like, emotion and um, image, but also just in terms of identity. Yeah. Like, what um, do you mean by that? Well, some, I know that some of that is nine stuff, but just also, like, knowing my identity in regards to how I feel about things. Mm. Like, I feel like I have a much faster response to knowing how I feel about something. You know, and to knowing what my like emotional reaction is to something, it still kind of gets lost in the nine mist or whatever. But yeah, 
Nancy had made a comment just, uh, I think it was at the end of the year party, year end party, that podcast that we did, mm. where she had commented on just like even noticing differences and changes in herself, just hanging out with us for the last couple of years, that she is much more bold about her opinion and just mm -hmm. self-locating and, and being able to find what she thinks and feels about things very much quicker. And um, boundaries too, which is, she's body last. Mm, okay. Mm, yeah. yeah. There's it's something about that, that, you know, just you're, that might show up in the people that you're attracted to working with. And I, I think I mentioned Josh, like really uh, feeling a, a draw towards us. And, you know, there's a, some opposite stuff going on there in terms of like what, how different we are compared to him. Yeah. And I mean, even like, oh, well, we already talked about this. You guys with John, that John's like heart blast boy. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Sure. I'm a no, big old like, wet too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when we all meet up, John's the one that pulls out like the heart bazooka and just starts shooting mm -hmm. everybody. Oh yeah. <laughs> John's Deadly. heart Deadly. heart blast on fucking uh, Molly Knights is a stuff of legends. It's truly the stuff of legends. <laughs> it has uh, initiated multiple relationships. <laughs> I I have you to blame, John, for two of my. Uh, Recent yeah, <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for those. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to facilitate love. Facilitate love. <laughs> your, your big old wet two here. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, what, what I think is kind of interesting about this is, uh, you know, talking about blind spot and polarity and stuff, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, Emika, you referred to getting into relationships with people that have that are on this polarity. Mm -hmm. and it kind of brought up like, what's like, what's the difference between being on a polarity because it's something that's like uh, you need that helps you grow, uh, and the versus uh, just like using somebody? Because mm, yeah. mm -hmm. I think all of us have had the experience of people being attracted to us for the sake of using us for something. Yes. And then I feel like all of us are very good at just naturally harmonizing and balancing each other out or seeing each other's weaknesses and, you know, in a way that's like, uh, that doesn't have that quality. Well, I think, Alexander, what you said earlier about like how... Um, we're not really bringing people into ourselves. Like we're not doing the social, even though we're spilling. I think what happens is that, especially with this pod, is that we are putting, seemingly putting ourselves out there, but not really. Mm -hmm. So we are in a sense objectifying ourselves. And so because over the last few years of all the new attention and we've been getting this reoccurring experience that people come towards us and wanting to, are attracted to us, but it doesn't feel like they're really seeing us. Mm -hmm. um, and so even in the, in the context of a relationship, I've had that experience where uh, someone's attracted to me, but it seems like I'm a function of this sort of sexual eight thing or energizing force or whatever that's of interestingness where uh, I'm a function for that, but it's not really seeing and appreciating me as a person. Um, outside of whatever expectations are there in terms of what I'm providing in terms of sexual instinct functioning. And so um, I see that as sort of us as a group, that is something that we keep running into is like people are like, I really like what you guys are doing and I really want to be involved and I really want to get a taste of that. And it seems to be like not seeing who we are as human beings and, and not really mm -hmm. appreciating us as human beings. It's like, I just, want, I just want more of this thing that 
this blind spot that I have that you guys represent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of, I mean, this is like a broken record, I think, at this point, but that's like one of the fundamental reasons why inner work is so important and Mm -hmm. why seeing your own blind spots are so important because, yes, like not seeing your own blind spot does leave you vulnerable to being used in a certain way, Mm -hmm. but it also does leave you vulnerable to unknowingly using other people. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Bingo. Bingo. Yes. (laughs) Like, I've said this before, just understanding the possibility of sexual types not being interesting and it's an illuminating thing because on paper you like oh sexual types that do this they overemphasize you know the parts of themselves that are attractive and hooking and emphasizing chemistry and things like that but there are people who might get those needs met without actually feeling doing anything to develop themselves so we have seen sexual types who are very fucking normal and you know, yeah. they don't really have much going on, but they end up getting those needs met in these sort of like maybe uh, fucked up outsourced. ways. Yeah, outsource. Mm-hmm. It's like you can outsource your first instinct in order to keep maintain like your attachment to disconnect or your hexad, whatever. Um, so this idea, this ideal sexual instinct or social instinct, people are getting their instinctual needs met in really in sometimes really fucked up ways, which might mean my partner gets gets to become my source for my sexual instinct needs it's not me it's just i'm outsourcing those needs through uh using my partner so i think you're absolutely right but i think that something that came up you know i'm doing this study group and something came up today um and i'll try to like not answer something sort of abstract with another abstraction but probably (laughs) that's where i'm gonna go all right i'll be on standby for you guys yeah be on standby okay Let's see. My book is about instinctual needs and identifying them. And mm-hmm. an early class we had somebody, somebody just kind of asked the obvious question, or it's like not. It's obvious in the sense that it's it's like a the the question, which is like people are unaware of their basic needs, you know. And it's like yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that gets um, that that comes up in relationships and it comes up in political shit and, you know, like all over the place is is that uh, even if you're like really privileged and you have the ability to meet all your basic needs, you're still unconscious mm-hmm. yeah. of what those needs really are mm-hmm. and how to really address them. Like we have a lot of... Um, like ways that we were conditioned to think that we need to meet our instinctual needs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, you know, and, and then it's, those are exaggerated through our stacking. So like maybe, uh, you know, you got the impression that to have that kind of sexual connection and passion, you needed to be really like friendly and presentable so that someone would like you and then they want to trust mm-hmm. you, then they could open that up. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you may be trying to get like a sexual need met, but through like a more of a, a social or self-pres lens or, mm-hmm you know, whatever, or you're trying to find real connection and acceptance, but you're objectifying yourself because you want to be the juicy object that people will, whatever. And so part of the frustration that I see like in uh, relationships and I see in like, you know, I I follow a lot of leftist groups and stuff like this (laughs) because I think ideology is an external personality Mm -hmm. is people complaining like, all right, once you get, uh, once you have a certain amount of your basic needs met, you, sh- you ought to be like good to go in terms of taking responsibility for yourself and all this stuff like this. And it's like, mm. even if you're basic, you have like all the resources you could want, 
you're you're still totally in the dark about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so part of Enneagram and part of all these other systems is like they're fascinating and fun, but like the value of some of the accuracy that we try to bring that Reddit hates us for is to identify not only basic needs, but also like your the kind of polarity that you're pulling. Yeah. It's not as simple as just like like I don't think on paper Alexandra's type and my type w- would match. Right. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our ty- our types do go a long way to explain some of the polarities involved, but there's a lot more going on, and there's a lot more ways that we like outsource shit unconsciously. And then mm-hmm. by knowing our types, like you know that that Alexandra, for example, can become in touch with her own sexual instinct rather than outsourcing it to me, mm-hmm. and I can be in contact with my social instinct without mm-hmm. outsourcing it to her. Mm-hmm. And I can be more adaptable and attachment e, and she can be a bit more hexady. We can meet mm-hmm. each other. We have this polar, you know, on and on and on polarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like you need to be able to like that's some of the use of this stuff. It's not just people want like these like uh, if you're a, a type four and you're with a type nine, this is what your relationship's going to be like. No, and yeah. it's like so yeah. complex. But polarity yeah. is a huge thing on it. And it's hard to kind of name what polarity is, but you can only start to account for polarity. When you start getting kind of like an inventory yeah. of all the all the blind spots, the shadows, the ways that you're relying on your external circumstances to give you something that you ought to be developing on your own, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. That was the gist of uh, what you had uh, this conversation that I had with you and David about, like, yeah, I'm, I'm that you guys are noticing that I'm really affected by certain qualities in the women that I'm attracted to. That these are things that I need to integrate in myself, and you know, like mm-hmm. heart, heart center and sort of self-identity and accepting myself. And that was one of the things I, I made a point to, to really look at, like, I think what, the thing that brings me into social is to look at myself and say, you know, what kind of a person do I want to be? And even when I look at, to really try to see people, it's like, what kind of person is this? And uh, is this someone, is this my type of person? So I, in order to see someone, I have to first see myself. I have to first yeah. accept myself. And so I have to look at myself on a long enough timeline. And that, that's what brings me into social because I, there's, no, there's no sense of like, who am I on a long enough timeline? Like, what is my character? And that's very difficult to even sort of like articulate. But that brings me into that world because I feel like that's what social types are doing. It's like, does this, is this a representation of who I am? Um, what, how does this look from the outside? That whole, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, like I have to actually give that to myself. Otherwise, it's something that I'm just going to try to outsource through my attractions. Like I'm just, oh, I'm just activated by this person. Why? They have something that I actually need that I haven't given myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I have this joke that it's, it's that Alexander and I have. It's like, it's not fully developed and it's not, you know, I have to really think about this and stuff. But, and I think I've shared on here before that it's kind of like, uh, I'm actually social dominant. Like mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get my my social needs met of being seen and wanted and loved and cared mm-hmm. about. And Alexandra is really sexual dominant because she's trying to get this passion, <laughs> and and but she's been doing. I've been doing social through the lens of sexual self pres, and she's been doing sexual through the lens of social self pres. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you know, there's this way that you know by having objectified myself, I didn't get social needs met at all and then Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. looking back past relationships being like there wasn't a relationship it was empty like i was traveling and doing all these things but i wasn't 
with anybody and you know like i couldn't be with anybody because i wasn't the social part of me wasn't there mm-hmm. and you know uh like alexandra you can speak on your situation but it's a, it's a thing where like we sabotage our possibility yeah. for getting all our needs met there's a thing i'm thinking about launching into <laughs> go, um, go for it <laughs> uh let's see if i can articulate here um uh john did i was one of the books I sent you a little book on the human shadow by Robert Bly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I think it's in that book is the idea that most couples are doing this neurotic polarity where, where you're taking two half people and putting them together. And that sort of makes this neurotic whole, right? Mm -hmm. And that, there's a wedding that happens, you know, the outer wedding, but then this is in the book. This is how he's putting it metaphorically. Mm-hmm. But in the basement of the church, another wedding happens. And in that wedding, it's an agreement that, for example, I'm going to be the irresponsible, flighty, you know, uh, unreliable person. And you're going to be the responsible, authoritative, organized person, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we come together that way, and it makes a neurotic whole. And then mm. that way, like we said earlier, I don't have to integrate, yeah. you know, the opposite qualities because you're doing it. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That gets a bit into what I was, it was like in my like feel energy field, but I couldn't articulate it quite. Mm. Um, Yeah, John and I have a lot of polarity. We have opposite stackings. Um, I am triple attachment. He is triple hexad. There's a lot, there's just like a lot of opposites that we have going on. And one of the risks that comes with that is that, yes, if I'm not integrating my sexual instinct, then I'm sort of keeping John in prison to his or else Mm. we don't work anymore. And mm. if I don't articulate, if I don't um, integrate my hexad and my location, mm. I'm imprisoning him to his. And mm. if John doesn't adapt, if John doesn't learn to adapt, I'm stuck doing all the adapting. Yeah. I'm That's stuck great. in my social yep. instinct, which means we are, we just continue to be two separate people. <clears throat> so this thing about owning your own work, owning your own blind spots, learning what your own missing piece is, yes, have it reflected. Like, of course, the polarity that we have is part of why we're attracted together attracted to each other but a big part of why we are working is because we're trying to integrate those within ourselves mm-hmm. right you and know, that's like part I'm... of the original attraction i think yes. is is at some underlying level you're knowing that you need to integrate that opposite thing but you're setting up this situation a kind of marriage if you will mm-hmm. that's that keeps the thing s- static and not moving Right. At the same time. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And with the body um, last heart last, which is another polarity here. Um, oh, is that I kind of see like John's very potent heart energy. Yeah, I could absolutely just like outsource that, mm-hmm. you know, and just like leave him to be the heart person and he could leave me to be the body person. But what I think, and maybe this is giving ourselves too much credit, although I think we do naturally do this and you know, fall off every now and then because we're human still. But um, 
I think what it should be in a couple is you can take those polarities and allow that to inspire the missing piece in yourself. Maybe mm. I'm just saying no, no, 100%. again, but like John's very potent heart energy inspires me to find it in myself and inspires mm. me to just like be vulnerable and to just be in this, like, yeah, to just like allow myself to sit in that space longer. And I think in the opposite sense, like me being such a like body type lump allows John to just access that within himself, which is another kind of liberation we offer each other and ourselves. Mm -hmm. It seems like people can go one of two ways with that, where the person you're attracted to that represents these, these missing pieces, if you're someone who's not um, motivated to grow and to work on themselves, like it can just be an opportunity just to stay stagnant and not have to change because why would you it's like i can he, this person's got it covered for me yeah. right versus right. a relationship seems to be an opportunity to self i mean i mean this is my instinct of my stacking talking to transform yourself to yeah to to like this this chemistry this attraction every chemistry i mean i look at chapters of my life based on like who i was attracted to and what the before and after of what that taught me about myself and it can be an opportunity if that the thing that you're attracted to is something that you need to integrate and you could be a different person if you took on aspects of, the, of what they call home mm. and that feels foreign to you and get a little bit closer to those uh, qualities and find it in yourself. And, you know, that's kind of what happens to couples who are really together. Like over the years, they, they start to meld together and, and become more similar sometimes or they just completely, you know, stay separate and they don't. But that can happen in relationships where mm -hmm. you do actually start to integrate qualities that the, the partner represents. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been... Uh, did you want to say something? No, was that was it. Okay. Uh, Courtney, we were talking about sexual instinct and relationships and stuff like this. And, um, you know, basically, like, there was an example recently in the group where a new girl, uh, you know, posted making a comment about being potentially being a sexual type. And... It was very clear from her post aesthetic everything that she was sexual blind and social dominant and people were pointing this out and she said something like you know but being it being attractive to my partner is the most important thing and mm -hmm. i was like you know it was this interesting at first i i was like huh you know like not huh but like i was like oh that's not really it but then i was like well actually she's probably being completely genuine mm -hmm. that probably is her desire and value but like operating from a different um sensibility of what attraction means and how much you know that word and how it mm -hmm. operates and what it's meant to do and how it's approached all those kind of things and you know what level somebody's understanding a word at and how it's operating within a context um and courtney uh recommended a while back this book uh by a guy named david data that i've just i mean just started but it's called Intimate Communion, and it seems kind of cheesy, but it's got a lot of good stuff in it. I'm, again, like I, I don't hardly know anything about it, but he's describing three levels of a romantic or partnered relationship, where first is, um, in it, you know, with like heterosexual couples, uh, and I don't know how this applies to non-heterosexual non couples, but, you know, he talks about like how like the kind of 1950s model of like, two completely different social functions that men and women have mm -hmm. and how they come together to kind of like complete that social function, but it's completely imbalanced and kind of fucked up and whatever. 
um, where, you know, men work and uh, have some independence, but like no emotional life and women are stuck at home and raising kids and all that kind of stuff, and, but have, has no independence or anything. Anyway, the next level up, he calls like the 50-50 relationship, which is kind of like his version or his picture of the, the typical modern relationship where men and women are kind of like complete units in themselves trying to relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, you know, women will tend to be like, have that assertive part down where they're, you know, working and good at their job and, you know, in competitive fields and kind of complete financially and personally and have that aggressive side developed. And then, uh, women having, uh, or I mean, men having more like in touch with their feelings now and all this kind of stuff. But there's like a certain lack of potency, sexual or mm. creative potency in those dynamics that there's 50, yeah. 50. So it's like two individuals that sort of orbit each other and then dissolve. And there's something intuitively in that that kind of tracks given like how few relationships I even know that are like successful and in the sense of not just people together, but like actually liking each other. Right. Um, and, and having passion. And, um, and then, you know, the next level he calls intimate communion, which he hasn't really defined that well, but it's all based on cultivating and recognizing the interplay of polarity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this conversation is interesting because it's not only uh, this polarity question and, and trying to identify what polarity and blind spots can even mean. It's, like, expanded. Um, but that it is, like, uh, that there's a way to work with them where it's not just a deficiency, but it's also, like, a creative component of a chemistry you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah i will say this um about polarities because i think david this is one of your phrases about what the sexual instinct is doing is creating uh polarities and looking for polarities because polarities is what mm-hmm. creates magnetism you need right. some oppositional energy to to create that kind of charge and i in my dating history i've noticed a pattern of you know, because if you want to measure attraction, it has dimensionality, it has different facets to it, but it also has strength. And what determines how strong an attraction is, is the, the degree of polarity mm-hmm. that you might experience. And so, you know, we just did that class, DAA class on J-Lo and this and <laughs> nothing person that she's with. Um, and they have some polarity, but they're practically the same type. And so... A lot of times, you know, what John's speaking to about seeing, you know, couples that are together, a lot of couples are get together based on a lot more similarity than polarity. Mm-hmm. And then they're, yeah. they're wondering why there's no yep. spark. Yes. Like Josh yeah, was speaking God. to that, like where he was literally dating his exact same type, instinct stacking, trifix, everything. So there is like a comfort there because y'all are doing the same shit, but there's no spark, there's no magnetism. Mm -hmm. And so my history has been the opposite as a sexual eight that I'm looking for the fucking biggest hit of attraction I can find. So I I end up looking for these like super unlikely, you know, like you, I, I couldn't have seen it come in sort of attraction because it means that it was so strong that it hit me out of nowhere, which meant that this someone who, uh, was on a, a really strong polarity, which they're really different from me. Um, of course, that creates like you, you have a, a huge attraction, but you also have a really unstable dynamic because maybe there's not like a middle point. We talked about this in mm-hmm. the last episode where it's you need some healthy balance of similarity and uh, polarity. But for the sexual blinds out there, what the sexual drive is trying to do is to provoke and find 
and uh, facilitate these sort of polarities because in those, the bigger the polarity, the more magnetism there is, the more, the more of that um, urge to uh, that. Yeah. The more attracted you are to that thing. So another one that we could do real quick before, I mean, I think we're running out of time, but is, is the, uh, we looked at the different ORs. We looked at rejection, attachment, and um, frustration. And Nancy and David were missing rejection, and there were lots of people commenting about that. And we just did an episode where, you know, trying to articulate better what rejection was. And I had some follow-up thoughts to that that I think might help clarify things a little bit. Um, yeah. Dave or John had talked about on that has this episode hasn't gone out yet that there's uh, a progression of distance with starting with attachment with this trying to be as close as possible to frustration which has got like one foot out one foot in being frustrated and then rejection which is like all the way out like wanting to be separate and I was thinking about like how rejection sort of represents two five and eight represents these sort of withholding separate but also interestingly enough, parental sort of dynamics mm -hmm. that, that yep. those types are looking for, mm -hmm. which is parental is already assuming that I'm already outside the family unit and I, I, I can't be acted upon. I have to be the one acting upon others. Mm -hmm. And so for those listening, if you don't have a lot of rejection in your whole typology, that that aspect of, you know, object relations or, or type perspectives are missing because if you have a lot of rejection working in you you have you're overdoing this perspective that i'm a separate parental uh withholding um personality that only relates to other people through creating sort of these leverage one-way dynamics and so what that does to you know if i have a lot of rejection that means that you know it's difficult for me to show up in a sort of communal kind of way without seeing myself outside of um, any sort of like a dynamic where it feels like I'm acting on dynamics and dynamics, nothing can act on me. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's more to unpack there, but that, that's something yeah. that clarified like the level of distance that each of the ORs right. are operating from. I think that's, I think it's great. I don't, I would maybe tweak some of the, your language. It's not that I think that rejection doesn't think it can, they can be acted upon, but there is a fear mm, that they'll mm -hmm. be acted upon because... Yeah. Um, you know, like, because it made me think, okay, hexad, this like rejection stance, but the social instinct, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And in each case, you know, it's like social five becomes like the teacher. Yes. You know, uh, social two becomes the like teacher mother. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and social eight becomes like the godfather activator. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a certain way that there's this, there's a role. Like, yes. I think rejection, they really embody, like, taking a role mm -hmm. more than frustration and attachment do. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. there's role aspects in those, but it's like, I, like the provider thing of providing whatever my, um, my dominant center's quality is. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. But yeah, it's like, like the social five is, like, like anxious in a certain way that they're going to be gobbled up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so by being this fount of valuable insight, it's like they have a certain, there is a certain uh, not touchableness, you know, there. Right. right. I think eight, <laughs> I think eight is more likely to be like, they're not, not going to touch me. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel yeah. like, I don't feel like 
uh, five has the robustness sense of to to feel like true untouchable. Yeah, the the uh, just reflecting on sort of the way I react to things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, even just things that happen to me that other people feel more offended on my behalf, and it just feels like it's very difficult to feel affected by something that I haven't allowed to affect me. <laughs> it's like you you have to be someone who could affect me. It just feels like everything, anything, everything that person is saying or doing is sort of like uh, less than nothing. I don't even think that phrase really gets at it. It feels like so far away that they're not even. It feels like they're not even talking about me. Wow. I wasn't even. I wasn't even there. It's just something that's happening. And um, if you're not someone who matters to me, you're literally like an NPC. Like you're not. It doesn't matter what you say. And I'm like even it. it like it, I could be watching a video game that you think that I'm part of, but I'm not actually in it. <laughs> It's wild. I could not like relate less. <laughs> I, I, I relate to, to, I mean, that's kind of, it sounds like what you were saying earlier, Alexandra, about uh, in the interviews where you're saying something about like the, uh, my like social persona is like very pushing away until something mm -hmm. opens, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you feel in contrast? I mean, with me as a social type and as a nine, I don't know which one makes it, which one is to, I don't know, deserves the most credit or something. But Emika, you specifically said that if you don't give the thing permission to affect you, it just doesn't affect you, even if it should, even if other people recognize that like it is a transgression on some level. I feel transgressed upon and affected by everything. Oh. Everything. <laughs> like, nothing actually has permission, but also mm. it doesn't fucking matter. I'm affected by everything. Maybe as a social type too, like, because it is like my personhood that I'm tracking and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, that is so bizarrely foreign to me. It's interesting to uh, referencing Jesse's interview with Josh as a social type, as a social five, how there is this sense of looking for connection points with other people, but yeah. also like the sense of her personhood being an abstract thing. Yeah, that was that, really interesting. Yeah, because it's, it feels like you're never actually going to get to her as a person. You're only going to approximate connection through this symbolic object. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to, we're going to do a, a call like social hexat types just to explore what that looks like. And then maybe a call with uh, social blind attachment types. Um, That'd be cool. Just to see how like even social hexat types are using the social instinct to reinforce separateness, but still get their, you know, social instinct needs met. Yeah, Matt. partly just pulling apart social from attachment is kind of the right. conversation. That's yeah, a good idea. right, right. Cool. Let's well, see. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. That's... Yeah, I'm I'm pretty spent, but I don't. You know, we didn't like come up with like concrete things, but I think it was really interesting. Oh, there's a lot in here. There's yeah. a lot that we came up with, even though it's it might not seem concrete. Like, yeah, there were some really good nuggets in there. Yeah. All right. All right. I go later, guys. Yeah. All right. Bye. Later. Bye, guys. Bye.